Here we are again. Hey, I want that. I want that same energy, people. I'm telling you. I want it. I love it. I love it. You can boo too. You can boo too. It's okay. Completely cool. <laughs> it's a safe place. It's a safe place. Hey, so okay. Walk with me today. We're talking about children. We're talking about students. Um, show of hands. I want you to be vulnerable. I know it's not a place of vulnerability. There's a lot of people around. It's really hard to be vulnerable. Um, but I want you to show of hands. How many of you have ever been a kid? Maybe some of you missed it. Maybe some of you still are, right? It's obviously me. Um, today we're talking about just the vision of Southbrook kids and students. A place where kids of all ages birth through high school that leads them to ministries of young adults and the men's and women's ministry is a place of immense love, support. If you will, imagine with me this thread. I have a thread, okay, nylon. It's just nylon, right? Well, things you can do with this, right? You have an unruly kid, you could probably tie them up and put them in a closet for a little bit, right? What can you do with this? You can secure things down. You can rescue someone from a pit. You lower it down, right? People do incredible things with this. They scale large faces, mountains with these things. It's a mo or some don't. It's incredible. But think about this. Ecclesiastes tells us a cord of three strands is what? Not easily broken. I was working a wedding yesterday, and they actually were doing this, that this is the verse that is often cited when people choose to do a unity knot. They go back on our, here at Reverie. They went behind, back on stage, music's playing, and the groom and the bride take their thread and the third one is to, is to connotate Jesus, God, in that relationship. And they start threading it together, right? The image of we are intertwining not only ourselves, but ourselves with Christ. And that together, this is a bond that cannot be easily broken. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes wasn't saying this is strictly for marriages. No, right? That we know most rope, this is, is, is intricate, it is, is actually got smaller threading that's interwoven to make it even more stronger, right? The more thread I add to it, the stronger it gets. And so I want you to think about your life. Think back to when you were younger. Maybe think back to when you were a kid, maybe when you're in middle school. If you're a student right now, I want you to think currently, maybe when you were in high school or when you were in college or maybe right now. See, our phones have a lot of contacts. And I think I have over like 1,200 contacts. A lot of them I'm not talking to actively. But they have this page that's called favorites. And so I want you to think about who are your favorites? Who are the people that made the thread around your life when you were younger? Maybe they spoke into you at a time when you desperately needed guidance or wisdom. Maybe it was a teacher, a volunteer, a coach that spoke into you and saw something deeper in you that you never saw yourself. And I want you to think with me. Seriously, sit here for a moment and think about that. And maybe some of you, I hate to think like this, but maybe some of you didn't have that support netting. And see, that's not the way God envisioned his church. That's not the way God envisioned us as human beings. He envisioned us coming together in a, in a vibrant community where that community shared in the burdens of one another. That community came together and helped carry each other's loads, that spoke into one another, that supported them. And we live in a culture that is drifting away from this. 
And so I want you to think for a moment, who is one or two people that come to your mind right now that you were like, they were the, they were the thread that my life was interwoven with. They spoke into me. They helped me. And you'll see on the screen here, if it, if it works, maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't work, that's a problem, right? Okay. And I started to list this out. I was sitting down by myself late last night. This week has been crazy. We've got a lot going on um, from church, Reverie. I work there and help out there with the tech side of things. Uh, I have a kid that it's like it's been forever fighting strep. It's been an unbelievable season of strep and like antibiotics and all this. And it's just been like just a crazy season right now. And last night, and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be real. You know, Eric, I'm vulnerable, whether I get fired or not for it. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Like this week, I didn't sit down much with this. Charlie said, I need you to talk on children and talk on kids. That's easy. But I was, I was having, I swear, a, a near panic attack, just thinking, okay, this, this day is here. Did you do everything you needed to do? Here's the thing that I think a lot of pastors do, is that a lot of times we think we need to do more than we need to do. That makes sense. That, um, gosh, I got I to gotta read for hours a day, I have to structure this over and over and over. I got to go through this. And I feel like there are times where God's like, no, man. Like, I I jokingly say this, and it was this week too. Every time I teach, my week gets completely hijacked. Completely. Like, without fail, like God is working on, what is it? My my shortcoming of control. He's like, Eric, you you think you got to have all this time structured in your calendar. Here's the deal. Boom, here comes somebody into your office. To be honest, here's a student that really needs something right now. Oh, wait, you got to, my calendar is full. I got to work on this. And so last night, no joke, I'm on my couch at 12 o'clock. And, man, I am watering up thinking about the support net I had in my life while I grew up. And, guys, if you can throw that on the screen right now, you'll see this. I'm going through name after name after name of people that during my time were impactful to me. And this list is not exhaustive at all. This is just I'm getting older, and these are the ones I can remember. (laughs) Kevin Comp, Brad Frame, Jason Shreve. This was Eric's middle school years. Brad Frame baptized me. I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest with you. It's the beginning of a journey. I didn't know what this meant, but I knew my friends were doing it, to be perfectly honest with you. I want to do this with my friends. But Brad Frame talked me through this and why we do this. Julie Hendricks, uh, I remember playing basketball with her at middle school and high school. She was an unbelievable baller in the city of Louisville, and I loved playing with her, and she was a volunteer at our church. Trish Pollard, small group leader. Scott Hatfield, this is now high school, Eric. He was the high school pastor there. Lee Swaggerty was a grown man. He was like 52 and was a volunteer leader, small group leader. Mike and Sandra Vickery were incredible. Mike played football at Northwestern. He was a small group leader. They had these two incredible dogs. They were Rottweilers that they had trained. They could whistle and they do all these tricks. And I was like, this is incredible. These dogs are amazing. Like they would do all this stuff. And that was what we knew Mike and Sandra for. They're no longer in Louisville. They were there for a year, and, but they made an immense impact on me and my friends. Travis Kaiser was my JV basketball coach. I put him on there. Because my senior year, I was done. See, my, my high school varsity coach isn't on there. And it was a rough relationship we had. And it's all, it's all he knew. It's all he knew. 
And that's why we talk so much at Players Box about the importance of the value you coaches and teachers have with students. You think about the support net you have under them. What type of support do you give to them? But he was the one. Eric, stick to this. Eric, you can do this. You got this. Made it fun. Made me be, man, it was just incredible. Look at my, look at my teachers here. Miss Black, Miss Davis, Miss Black. She, so I, I went to a private Christian school in Louisville. My parents went all in on that. I was public school for years. My parents were like, no, let's, let's go to Christian Academy. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to play basketball at Ballard. It's what I want to do. I didn't know how beneficial that would be for me. But Miss Black, she was a retired public school teacher who was now at Christian Academy. She taught English. Are you kidding? English is boring as all get out to me. She's talking about Shakespeare, but she made it incredible. And here's what Miss Black would do. She would show up. Her room was open all day long. And my group of friends would go sit in there during our break time. We had break. I'd go get my Otis Spunkmeyer muffin, and I'd sit in Miss Black's, Miss Black's room, and we would be just ridiculous, and she's over there laughing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Thank, she's, she's now in glory now. She lost a battle with cancer. Miss Davis was that way. Guys, I could go on and on with this list. Mr. Maestri Anatomy. Literally, this dude looked like Santa Claus. He was incredible. Tom Rayner was like a second father to me. That I'm growing up and considering ministry, and he, he is a pillar in the Southern Baptist movement, to be honest with you, was a president at the Billy Graham School of, Evan of Evangelism, and he spoke into me a lot because his son was my best friend. You see, here's a different thing. I don't know if it's like this today, but my friend group, their parents were influential in our lives. I don't know if you feel that, right? I don't know if it's the same anymore. I don't know. Like, these are, these are families we would sit with that would say, we, they would show up, our living room is yours. And they would sit with us. It was a thing we enjoyed. I don't know if that's the same anymore. Reggie Ball, Sam Rayner, best friends to this day, college basketball coach, theolo theological professor at CCU. It's more than theology for him. Doug Pyatt, ministry, Don Rice, Steve Idle, Charlie McMahon. I have to put that on there. <laughs> totally kidding. I couldn't resist that joke. I could not resist. You guys know absolutely I'm kidding. See, I knew Charlie and Sherry, they came into our lives when I was a freshman at CCU because I started dating a young lady who was from Southbrook and her dad was on staff. I would travel up here on the weekends to see her and I'm sitting here like, why am I at Centerville watching youth basketball? It's Austin McMahon playing as a middle schooler. But man, did that guy help me. All of this to say, all of this to say is that many of us are the sum of our experiences and the people that come into our lives. That our hope is that when you think of this, maybe many of you, we, we, we did the survey here recently in Southbrook, and 1,300 of you responded. That's incredible. We thank you for that. Do you realize in that survey, 68% of you have said you have a child 0 to 19 right now? That's an incredible percentage. This is why we want to talk about this. And now this series is about how we can get different people to put their lives into play, to volunteer. But here's what we want to do. This is a hill we absolutely want to die on. And we're not even saying we've done it great for the past few years. I've worked in the student ministry and we've struggled with things. You walk in here, you drop a kid off, you see SPK. SPK is vibrant and amazing. A ministry that is incredible because of people like you. Volunteers are what make the church go. It is not me, it is not Charlie, it's not any one of us. See, this was God's view of the church. 
God's view that the church was like this community of believers that came together. You see the picture in Acts 2 when it talks about the early churches thriving, growing, and blowing up. It says no one had a need. They were sharing their resources with one another. But it wasn't just resources. They were sharing time with children. You see, you've heard us talk that Christ, the movement of Christ, changed the value of children in the Greco-Roman world. You see, Christ enters the stage and he makes comments like this. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. See, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say a lot specifically about kids, but church, let me tell you something. When he does, well, you, I mean, they are some bold claims. Because here's the deal. The disciples, it says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. And you see, the disciples were like put off by that. Why? Because they are a product of their society. You see, kids were nothing in that society. They were at the level of slaves. They were marginalized. They were nothing. So the disciples say, oh my gosh, what are these kids coming to this rabbi? Because rabbis would never give them access to them. And what does Jesus do? Everything you know is wrong. We are flipping culture on its head. The children are mine. I've created them. Form them in their mother's womb with value and dignity, with giftedness and skills and things to give back to my kingdom. They are mine and I love them. What are you thinking? The only other times that he talks about children, and I want you to see this because I want to lay them all out here for you. It says, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest? You see this. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What they're doing is they're arguing about prominence in the kingdom. They're arguing about pride and arrogance. Who has purpose? Who has the highest level of all of us disciples? Look what Jesus says. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what this means, right? You know what he's saying there, right? Maybe you've had a little, you have a little kid yourself who talks about the things of heaven. They have a sense of joy about the idea of God and Jesus. They just can't imagine anything else. Who needs place and prominence or anything? I just give me Jesus. I love it. I want to be in the kingdom. And I could talk about this because we have, like you know, we have three kids. And my youngest is Carter. He's six. And to, like, I'm, I'm not kidding you guys. He's my little evangelist. I'm not kidding. And it ain't anything I'm doing. I promise you. It's a, it's a, it's a product of this is their first year at Dayton Christian. And here's the thing why I kind of love it is we are, he comes in, I'm on the couch and watching the game um, a few weeks back and, and he comes and plops himself down on the couch. He's my man. Oh man, does he have my, they all have my heart, guys. Don't, don't get me wrong. We don't play favorites, but they're not watching, right? They're not here, right? Totally kidding. But you know that youngest, the youngest of, of three, the spirit he brings in, he just bopping in and sits down, hey dad, what's up bud? And here's the thing about it. He's, not, he's the one that has kind of taken to me. He wants to sit with me. He wants to be with his dad. The other one's going to, eh. So he sits down. This is no joke. And I'm not making this up because I need a story for this. Right? He sits down. He goes, Dad, Mom told me you're a baptizer. And I went, like, what? Like, what do you, what do you mean, baptizer? Like, because you baptize people. I said, well, yeah, yeah, I do that. He goes, well, what? you baptize me? And so here's the thing. I've worked with kids. I've worked with students. I have families I've talked with. I've talked with a family maybe, gosh, maybe it was three or four weeks ago. My, my kids are interested. And here's the, here's the thing we do. 
Here's the thing we do. All I'm saying is this. Here's the thing. I will never hold anyone back. I don't know what God is doing in their life. Why would I say, hey, you need to answer this set of questions to get in? What? Like, you see, baptism is the beginning of a journey. It marks the start of a journey in faith. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, I've been kind of questioning, but I don't think I have all the biblical answers. You don't need them. Do you understand this? It's not about having all the answers. It's about saying, I know I need a savior and I want to begin that journey now, right? So here's why I say that. But I, but I did do it with my six-year-old. <laughs> right? Because I asked, I, because I did, I was fascinated by this. Because I will be honest, my other two have not, have not done anything like that. And I said, like, why? What, what, what do you want, where, where did this come from? Why do you want to get baptized? I am not kidding you. He goes, because I, I want new life. Not kidding. I'm not making this up. And I'm, and I'm laughing because I'm like, wait, wait, where are you getting? New? Okay, I, I know the scriptures. I know all that in Christ. We are made new. We have new life in Christ. And I'm like, holy moly, he's six. And I said, okay, Carter, tell me why. Would you, one of the biggest things I do ask is like, can you tell me who Jesus is? Tell me about Jesus. Well, Jesus was born, you know, he, he grew up into a man and he walked around telling people about God and about Jesus and trying to get people to follow him. And then, and he gets really quiet. He goes, but not everyone liked him. He said, then they put him on a cross. This dude's, I'm like, I'm on the couch like this. <laughs> Sign me up, dude. No. <laughs> and then, and I, and I asked him, I said, and that was the end. He goes, no. Three days later, he rose and defeated death. And I'm like, <laughs> put him here. Here's your mic. Go for it. And But I, what I'm saying is, in that moment, as I'm putting this together and I come across these words, these little subtle words of let the children come to me. We want to be a place, Southbrook, we want to be a place, and we need you to be the support net that says we want to come and surround kids, children, students with the supportness to help them navigate through life. When it comes to the tough questions of life, when they are questioning, do, do I make Jesus the Lord of my life? Who is Jesus? Or simply, here's the deal, not even that. If It's just, I want to be there for you. I want to show up. Because that is what Christ wants, and that's what the early church was to be about. It was believed that the early church was like a homeschool-type setup where families came together and kids were just thriving and living in this community together where they would share oral traditions, the stories of the Old Testament. They would share about Jesus and what the apostles are doing and the church spreading. This was an everyday thing. This wasn't a, hey, we show up on Sunday. This was a part of their everyday life. And it began with a support system. You've heard us talk about the Greco-Roman world, their view on children. Go research it. Go study child exposure. Child exposure is the belief that, hey, I have a kid. I don't want it. I'm going to set it on a trash heap or outside the city gates. This is no, it was rampant in, the, in, in that time. And the church was known as a movement, a community that would show up to those trash heaps and those gates and grab those kids. And they would adopt them into their families. You see, that's our hope, because I do believe this. I do believe that when you have a child, a student, it is like walking a tightrope for them as they navigate life. Think of a tightrope. Imagine that. Maybe you think of the great Wallindas as they walk on that thing. 
No netting at all. And this is what it is for kids and children and students as they grow up. It's like, I'm trying to navigate not only all the physiological changes that are happening in, within, within me, but my middle school years, my elementary years, I'm growing up as an elementary student. I, I am growing. I'm excited. I'm just, I'm just so happy and bubbly. In the middle school, I'm trying to figure out where do I belong? Where do I fit in? The girls are a foot taller than me right now. I don't really shower much. <laughs> Who, and, and at the end of the day, this is, if you want to check this out more, there's, there's a thing called, it's a phase that orange ministries put together and they did this whole background study into the different ages of what they're all thinking, what they're going through scientifically. In middle school, the biggest one is like, where do I belong? Do I have value? Do I have worth? And so as a church, we want to say, absolutely, you are known, valued, and loved, and we want to surround you with volunteers at all ages that help communicate that. That as you walk that tightrope, it doesn't have to be scary and, and, and full of fear that we are there. If you do happen to fall off, we are going to catch you. We are there for you. See, the hope is that every stage of life that that kid grows up through, that there are four to five people in their life that they can go to. That is science. But the more well-rounded kids and adults become, it's because of the people that are in their life that are there giving them guidance and wisdom and helping them. You see, threads and safety nets are important. It was the focus of the building of the Golden Gate Bridge in the early 30s. Look at that. Not many iron workers were used to safety nets. In fact, remember all the pictures in New York City as they sit on iron, like I-beams, having lunch? Who are these men? My goodness. No way, guys. I can hardly make it up to mound without throwing up from the heights. But right, like, they were instrumental because they thought, you know what? Brains, let's create a netting that runs along the base as we build up the Golden Gate Bridge. They spent $130,000 in 1933 to put a netting down. That is what? I don't know. It's definitely over a million, right? Right? Today? And here's what they said with this. It saved the lives of 19 people. Roop and I were just talking about this. That it was the idea as they were working, they had a confidence. They were more free to work quicker and move faster because they knew what? There was a net beneath them. See, that is our hope for kids and students as they grow up. That's why we put Players Box together to reach further into the lives of students. You see, to get access to kids at schools and their teams, that's why we put it together. And to surround them with not only coaches and other volunteers and adults to just say, hey, we are here. We just, we just want to show up. We want to come to your games and just celebrate you. And there's no agenda. We just want to say, we're here for you. Because I put these handy-dandy graphics together to help kind of just help illustrate what I mean. Look at this guy, right? right? Look how happy he is. He's so happy. He's so happy. Why? Because he's tightrope and this is, he's navigating life. But what's the deal? He's got a safety net. He's so happy right now. Like he's, it's almost like he's dancing, right? Right? And each thread, each thread of that safety net is people that have come into the lives to say, hey, we're here to support you and help you, to navigate what can be treacherous and dangerous and scary. But no, we're here for you. Right? Conversely, look at this guy. Oh, man, he's super unhappy. <laughs> these, graphics, these graphics are off the chain right now. Right? 
It's okay. You don't know that when you get Eric, you get some incredible graphics, right? He's so unhappy. Not only that, I'm like sadistic. I put like spikes underneath. Right? Like, like you can, here's the thing. That, here, here is a very real, I know I'm laughing. Here's a very real truth. And you know this. In fact, our attorney general just communicated this truth. Is this. He put this out here recently. 82 pages of what we already know to be true. That loneliness and isolation is off the charts more than ever. And there's a lot of variables that played a part in that. We know of the COVID and the lockdowns and all that that went on. But not only that, the beginning of the digital age. That here's what's going on, that kids are becoming more isolated. Feelings of loneliness. In fact, in this article, as I was reading he, he equates, he quantifies loneliness as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Incredibly round number. But 15 cigarettes a day. That the rise of the digital age, everything that came with COVID, the protocols that were put in place, what we're doing, what the enemy has done is push kids into isolation and loneliness. You think about the enemy, right? You get, a, you, get a, you get a picture that's painted that he is what? Like a lion prowling around, looking for what? Someone to devour, it says. Have you ever watched a lion hunt? You ever watched them? Do they go after the crowd? No, they're genius. They're smart. Why would I do that? It's a lot of work. I might get hurt doing that. What does the lion do? It processes. Maybe I'm looking for the youngest. Maybe I'm looking for one that's lame. I'm definitely finding one that's on the fringes, away from the group. We were playing this week a video of a lion that went after a wildebeest, but then he made the mistake that didn't see the other ones coming. And they ran him off and tramped. It was like unbelievable. But this is how the enemy hunts, guys. That the digital age and everything going on is, if I can get you separated and isolated and feeling lonely, I got you. I can put thoughts into your heads and make you feel less of a person, losing self-worth and value, which is opposite of what the kingdom tells you. You see, we replace physical relationships with digital relationships. And that's good for a little while. It's good. It's great. Like, you can talk to people. It's amazing how accessible people are. But that is, what, that is how it works scientifically or spiritually. The goal is to come face-to-face -face with people, to be with people in community. That is what the early church was, and that's what God's kingdom is about. Heck, our God has built three in one. It's the example of kingdom and community together. But I do believe for that to happen, we have to have systems where kids feel known, valued, and loved at all times. Kids know they're bright, they're smart. In fact, I think one of the biggest mistakes adults can make is that they're not that smart. They're geniuses. They are, they are capable of immense leadership at young ages. We see it around here. You come in here on the weekend, you can see them around. They're on cameras. They're in the production room switching shots. They're back there leading the production of the weekend. They're students. They're amazing. You go back to SBK. Maybe some of you walked in, you dropped them off, and, and you see the, the netting, the support net of people who say, we just want to show up and help your child feel known, valued, and loved. You see, my vision is this, our vision is this, not just mine. Our vision is this, is that we have very young families, and maybe you're sitting here and you just had your first child. 
And that is, that is a, an exciting and a scary time. You've all, many, many of you have been there. Do I drop my kid off? I'm so, I cannot. We were there. I'm so nervous. You drop off your newborn into an area where uh, Pam and Gary Smiga take that child and love on them like, <laughs> like they were distant grandparents that have just come into the fold. They sit back there in our infant's room. That child grows up to ones where he has Chad Duff and John Pfeiffer waiting at the door to greet you with a smile and to help them feel known, valued, and loved. Two-year-olds, Lottie Zalowski and Kim Branson, they are there to love on your kid at two years of age to say, we are here. We are now the next level of that support net. They go on to threes where they have Kathy Baldrick and Sonia Griswold there to say, hey, we are there with fours and fives room to be further. We're, we're, we're strengthening the threads under your children. Adam Long, who hosts at the 11 hour almost every week in the fours and fives room, and Greg Hudson there hosts as well. You'll see them on the stage teaching, talking to your kids, giving them a scripture message that week with video and fun. Because here's the thing we believe in, we believe in fun and it's important. Because here's why we believe that, we want your kids to come back. Here's the deal, I've experienced this growing up in my life. My life, I grew up in the church for the most part. I grew up in the church starting probably in the 80s because I was born then, right? Um, and my first church involvement from a student experience was fifth grade at the, in the basement of Westport Road Baptist Church. And it was in a metal folding chair with, I can't even remember her name, I want to say Olga. I don't know. She was terrifying. And while it was great, she was breaking down the implications of the early church. I'm just hardly, I can hardly breathe and walk at the same time. I don't know what that means. And so I remember we shifted to a church much like Southbrook. It was called Northeast. In Louisville, there's a lot of directional churches. Ours was Northeast. And it was at the age that I call the golden age of youth ministry where things shifted that was, was brand new to people that it was about fun environments, playing games, having these speakers that were pretty, man, they spoke topical, but more importantly, it was more, they could relate to you. They would hang out with you. It was about growing up volunteer bases that would come around you and play basketball with you in a gym as you were an overweight middle school kid waiting to stretch, right? It was different. And see, our, our vision is to be a place where kids love to come, where they get the word of Christ, where they have this netting under them at all times, where that kid knows, it, man, my family loves me, I have friends, but I also have volunteers at a place that want to help me feel known, valued, and loved at all times. That is the hope, and that is the dream. In fact, Players Box has the model. Charlie talks a lot about that model, too, of, of, of a support net at the top of the emotional cliff, he says. That Players Box is hopefully just giving ideas and thoughts and tenants that if they utilize these, we think it could be helpful. It could be like the support net before they go off the emotional cliff. Not always, obviously. And we're not a medical model because at the bottom of the emotional cliff is where there might be medical needs that come in. Intervention, hospitals, I don't know. That's not what we do. The hope is being the support net at the top of the hill. Same thing with our ministries around here. SBK, students, young adults, all of them. We're hoping to create support systems for kids and students as they grow up. And here's the deal. I understand there's many in here that don't have children. There might be many in here that are empty nesters. There might be many in here that are grandparents. Do you understand the early church was everyone was a part of this? Everyone. That serving brings about humility. 
Serving brings about connectiveness. It's not about that I have a kid or what I, it's, it's anyone jumps in. Anyone. Because times are tough. It's hard out there. And we know this quote, I love this quote by Winston Churchill, I use it way too often. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. But you can make not only your life, you can make someone else's life. Think about it. Maybe some of you in here know that there was someone placed in your life that saved your very life. I remember a few years back, I was, I've been here eight years, I think it was like the sixth, my, my, my second, third year in, and I was now taking over students, maybe it was four years, I can't keep it straight, COVID robbed me of that whole, that whole chronological order. And I remember someone asking me, Eric, what, what, how, what, is, your, what is your mission statement for students, for student ministry? I'm like, what's your mission statement? Um, guys, I'm, I'm going to be real with you, and it was a time of loss and pain in our ministry. So I'm just trying to help students survive. Very real. And I believe the key to that is Christ, but that's not always captured. So for me, that's just simply saying, I am here for whoever needs it. That's what I wanted our team to be. I don't need someone to stand up and teach eloquently. I don't care about that. I need people that will show up and say, I, I, I just want to show up for students. And so we got this email this week. Guys, I'm going to lose it. I'm sorry. This thing absolutely gutted me this week. And it was such, such an incredible message. It was one of the positive emails we get. And I want to read this. I, got, I, I, I made, sure to, uh, made sure the family was cool with this. And it's going to be tough. I'm sorry. So good. It's so good. Um, so mom, she emails. She says, hi, Charlie. My husband and I am already there. And our three boys, ages eight, four, and two, have been a member of your church for a little over a year. After last week's service, I know I had to share our story with you. My husband and I attended church together every Sunday until seven years ago when our first son, William, was diagnosed with severe autism. Without getting into details, you name it, he struggles with it. There was no way he could sit through a church service, and there was no church that catered to a kid like him, so we were done. Church was out of the question. Skip forward to a year ago. I'm Googling churches near me, and another attempt to find one that might support my son. And I came across your church's website and saw a section in their Southbrook kids titled Southbrook Special Needs. I immediately called and was put in touch with Britt Hood, who asked me the kind of questions that as a mom of a child with severe autism knew were the questions of someone who understood and would be able to help us. Within three days... My husband and I were in your church sitting together listening to our first sermon in seven plus years. Our autistic son, gosh, now every Sunday uses his limited words to request church, church. When we arrive, he walks to your front doors with such purpose. I want you to see this video they shared with us with such purpose. Guys, if you can play this video, please. That's it. You may think it's just simple. It's not. You see the purpose in his steps. 
he has found a place that helps him to feel known, valued, and loved. The way the kingdom wants him to feel every day. William shows up here with that purpose because he's going to a room and a team of volunteers and a ministry leader that sees him, knows him, and values him. And a day and age where there might not be much of that going on for people of his struggles. Oh. Our hope is what William felt that day and feels every day is our hope that that's every ministry we have here at Southwood. Especially as it relates to kids and students. Because it's tough out there. The focus of this weekend was simply to, to, to put an onus on children and kids, students of all ages. And will you, man, if it's one or two people today that just say, hey, I want to be, be another thread in the support net that goes under kids. I would challenge you here on top of it. Let's say, hey, I might not be able to right now. But what does it look like for you, coaches, teachers, maybe your business leaders? How are ways that we can continue to reinforce the netting under students every day? That you make a life by what you give. And we encourage you to continue to give. Out in the atrium, you can sign up for that. In the atrium, there's cancer crush signups or questions out there. Also, the hot rods cruise in. I was wrong. I guess you can't sign up online. Um, and so you can do that at the information center. So if you want to do that, check that out. But let's close in prayer. And again, I appreciate you. We went a little bit over, but I thank you for your patience. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you so much for the long list of names that you didn't coincidentally put in my path the names through all the stages of life that along with my parents and friends were there to see something that I did not see and that you used them to pull some things out of me. Lord. That they were there when I fell off my tightrope at times and made poor decisions, but they were there to just say, hey, we love you, we care for you. We want to do that now for the next generation because, Lord, we know the church is only one generation away from extinction. And the next generation is everything. And we want to be like the early church in Acts where we just surround them with love to help them know that they are known, valued, and loved at all times. And that we are here to catch them whenever they may make a mistake or, heck, if they just need someone to hold their hand and guide them down the tightrope. That is what we're here for. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this church. And I thank you for every one of the families represented here. We pray a blessing over them this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.